Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Welcome, everybody. It's really nice to see you all on the panel today. It's lovely to be joined, as ever, by Lisa Harding and Michelle Lombardi, our Directors of Primary Care. Um, my name is Louise Greenwood. I'm Director of Education here at Wessex LMCs. We've also got Andy Perbrick, who's just coming on, um, one of our medical directors. Um, thanks, Andy. And Gareth Bryant, who's currently our acting CEO. So last time we were asked a few questions about the role of the committees of the LMC and the role of the practice manager invitees and we reflected on this and we just thought actually it might be helpful to run through a few with a few slides of an overview of the makeup of the LMC um, and just to put that in a little bit of context really. So we've, um, we're delighted that Gareth's come on um, to share this with us now and do ask questions as we go or ask questions at the end and um, we want this just to be helpful for you and we've shared it with a few practice managers um, on the back of the questions last week and they just, oh, I have no idea how it was like that. And sometimes I think we assume things. Um, and certainly when I was a practice manager, I was never quite sure. So I think this is going to be really helpful. So, um, Gareth, I will hand over to you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Louise. Um, I agree. I mean, I think it is quite, it can be quite confusing. And so um, I'll try not to bore you all with um, PowerPoint slides, but um, I think it is something we do. We do this exercise with our committees um, when they form. Um, to try to make sure that everybody understands um, what the committee is about, why, why it exists at all, what it's meant to achieve, and what everybody's responsibility is um, when they take a seat, really. So, Louise, should we have a, the first slide, please? Okay, so what is an LMC? So, um, the, the important words in this slide are recognised by statute. So, what that means is that we are a legal entity. Um, recognised in various forms of the NHS Act. And actually, LMCs have existed for an awfully long time. They were established um, when David Lloyd George was Prime Minister in 1911, believe it or not. So um, we go back an awful long time, predate the NHS. And what we are is we're the representative body for all general practitioners. So um, that's the first important point to make, is that is that we have a legal... Um, uh, recognition as being the body for GPs. Importantly in this, it's all GPs, not just GP partners. Not, it does not depend on which contract you hold, whether it's GMS, PMS, APMS, uh, whether you're principal, sessional, locum, registrar, it is all GPs. And that's a really important point. The other um, uh, professional groups also have representative bodies. So the dentists have a representative body, the optometrists do, and pharmacists. So, um, so we are the representatives for GPs, but the other uh, professional groups do also have a, a similar structure. So general uh, LMCs for GPs are by far the, the, the largest and most developed of the organisations. So next slide, please, Louise. Okay, so we have a lot of confusion about, about what is Wessex LMCs. Um, and so this slide is trying to sort of explain that. So the, it's actually the three committees that are the legal bodies recognised by the NHS Act, not Wessex LMCs. And they, it's important, again, that they function independently of each other. And we do sometimes uh, find ourselves in a situation where one committee um, wishes us to represent them in one direction and another committee might wish we represent them, represented them in completely the opposite direction. Um, that happens occasionally, not very often, 
but it's an important thing that we have to remember is that they are allowed to function independently of each other. So what is Wessex LMCs? Well, we're a limited company. Um, we're a company limited by guarantee um, with no share capital. Um, and that's really to, uh, to manage the risk associated with the, with the sort of money that, that, um, that we are responsible for and the building. The directors of the company um, are the chairs and vice chairs of the three committees, and they form the secretariat. The CEO, currently me, is the company secretary, um, and the organisation of Wessex LMCs Limited is the employing organisation for all office staff. And that again, that's important to remember that, that we are not employed by the committees, we're actually employed by the company. Um, next slide, Louise, which is a graphic of what I've just described, which we won't need to dwell on for very long. So this, again, just a reminder of, of, of the structure. You have the three committees that are the statutory bodies. You have the secretariat that is the board of directors of the company and, and the governance structure for the organisation and the office staff uh, provide facilities, resources and support to both the Secretariat and each of the three committees. So next slide, please. So constitutions. Again, I don't want to bore you to death with constitutions, um, but essentially all they are, the rules around how we work and how we function. Each committee has its own constitution. Uh, but they're very similar and the Secretariat has its own constitution. So all, all the constitution is, is our, our, our rules, if you like, about how we conduct our business. So next slide, Louise. So what, what you'd find in it and what you would expect. So how we run committee meetings, such as how we elect members, the structure, frequency, form of the meetings, how votes are taken, how the levy is, is um, collect, uh, for first determined and then collected, um, and how we show expenses. The articles of association are what any, every company has to have, and they're published on the company's house website. If anybody wants to go and see the articles and, and see financial statements of the LMC, then, then you can go to company's house and simply put in Wessex LMCs and you will find all that information there. We also have a fairly um, robust conduct, uh, code of conduct and accountability, which we have done quite a lot of work on over the last um, few years um, on the back of the Romney report, which investigated um, uh, code of uh, conduct and behaviour in the BMA. So um, I think we're all very proud of the work that we've done around behaviours. Um, it defines the roles and responsibilities of the committee members, and I'll come on to that in a minute. And then every committee member, of course, has to agree to, to acting and abiding by the constitution. So next slide, Louise. So who attends? So this is, this is the slide that sort of, I hope, will set some context and answer some of the questions that were raised at the last meeting. So we have a number of different capacities in which people can attend LMC meetings. So starting from the top, we have elected members. Uh, these are covering geographical or sessional seats. So the geographical seats, each of the three committees is split into areas. For example, in uh, BSW, we have uh, Bath and North East Somerset, we have Wil uh, Swindon, and Wiltshire is divided into, into three. In uh, Hampshire, we have, say, Portsmouth and South West Hampshire. Um, and in Dorset, we might have 
Poole, we might have Bournemouth, and we might have uh, Weymouth and Portland, for example. So each each committee has various geographical areas, and this, those those people can put themselves forward either either GPs who are partners or GPs who are sessional. Um, or even locums can put themselves forward for a geographical seat to represent a, a specific area and the GPs who work within that area. So that's the geographical seat. We, we, we have election cycles every two years. Some seats are for four years and, and some seats are for two years. The intention is that each two-year cycle, 50% of the seats are up for, for election or re-election. The sessional seats are not geographically based, but they are particularly for doctors who work in a sessional capacity. And that could be as um, salary doctors or locums. Um, and the reason we draw distinction between geographical and sessional seats is so that we can be properly representative, because what we don't want is for a committee to be filled with GP partners and for doctors who work in a sessional capacity to feel that they're not represented. And as that's nearly half the workforce now, it's very important that we are we are seen to be representing all GPs, as I mentioned in the first slide. The next category is co-opted members, and these again are GP seats, and they are to represent specific GP roles that the committee feel need representation. So education and training, we've had the postgraduate deans on committees, um, out of hours doctors. So if the committee, for example, decided that there was um, not a doctor who was either in a geographical seat or a um, sessional seat who did out of hours or had out of hours expertise, they can co-opt a member to, to bring, uh, to represent out of hours doctors. So important, these seats are still representative and they have full voting rights as the elected members. The next category is invited members. Now, these are members that uh, are, are invited to attend the committee to bring expertise to the committee. Uh, and the this is the category where practice managers fit in. So what we're trying to do with these roles is to be really inclusive so that we can get the full views of all of the, of the staff who work in general practice. And that's why we have we, we decided a number of years ago to invite practice manager members onto the committee. They are non-voting, but they are considered to be full members of the committee in terms of contribution um, and ability to speak at the meetings. Practice manager members are invited for the full length of the term of the committee, i.e. two years. If we had a, some work where we felt we needed additional expertise, which wasn't going to last the full two years, we could invite somebody to join the committee for a period of time shorter than two years. Um, so, for example, if there was an issue around the contract that we might need six months, say, or then we can do that. And that's why that's what invited members. So it's really somebody to bring expertise and information to the committee. Attendees are people that um, uh, we might invite to attend a meeting to give a presentation, to give a, um, a particular view, but that would likely to be only for one meeting. And again, as you would expect, they're non-voting. And observers, anybody can come to an LMC meeting simply by, by contacting the office and you can come in an observing capacity where you are not allowed to speak unless you are um, asked to speak by the chair. Um, and of course, you're non-voting. 
but we do offer that and quite frequently we have uh, uh, various people attending LMC members as in an observing capacity. Um, we encourage our uh, GP registrars to do this at some point in their training years. Next slide, please, Louise. Okay, so what, what's the committee for? As we talked about, it's a statutory body. Um, the committee is what its really important role is to provide what I, I call a democratic mandate for the work of the office. And what I mean by that is that if I go to represent LMCs at a meeting, say, of the STP or CCG or NHS England or whoever, it's important that that person I'm in a meeting with understands that what I am bringing is a view of, G of GPs in a representative capacity, not just Gareth's view. Um, and that's really why, why we invest what we do in the committees and why we need the committees to give us that democratic mandate and to give us information. And there's another slide we'll come on to in a minute, which goes into that in a bit more detail. The next bullet point is also really important is that GPC is the General Practitioners Committee of the BMA. They are the negotiators with government around the contract. Um, and much of the work of GPC is, is determined or should be determined by um, LMC conference. There are two conferences, there's national and, um, NH and the England conference. And we send representatives from the LMC committees to that uh, to those conferences and, and the discussions and motions that are passed in those conferences set policy for GPC in the negotiation. So it's the one forum where our, our, our committee members can feel that they can have an, an, a national influence on general practice. So it's really important that we, that we always send our full complement of representatives to, to conference and those members who attend are prepared to take part. Um, and then our committees always run on, on consensus. We very, very seldom vote. And again, this is a really important thing is that even though we have certain classes of, of members of the committee who do not have a vote, we actually very seldom vote and we always seek to agree a consensus in any discussion or debate that we have at, at, committee, um, at committees. Okay, so what do we want? What do we expect from individual members? And I think the first few bullet points are the most important on this slide. So it's really to be the eyes and ears on the ground for the LMC um, and provide information to the LMC office on local issues. Obviously, we, we cover about 3.8 million patients. We have a huge area that stretches all the way from Lyme Regis to, to the east of Portsmouth um, and then up north of the M4. So it's a huge area. There are multiple organisations that we interface with and it is very difficult or stroke impossible for us to, to, to have our fingers in every single pie. And this is where we rely on our committee members to, to, to be alert to the, to the issues that, that are in their areas and to, to flag things up to us um, at the office and to bring things to committee meetings. Um, and we really, really encourage people to do that. And I think the next one is important, seek the views of colleagues and be prepared to represent those views, even if they conflict with your own. And this is, this is again, comes back to what I was saying around the committees that it's important and that's, that's a key thing to me to be, if you were to, to be a representative person, you should be prepared to represent views that you may not hold yourself personally. And that's what the LNC is for, for. And certainly I have found myself in situations when I've been mandated by the committee to, 
to try to negotiate or represent a view which I have not agreed with. But that's that's what the AMC is all about, is that it's a representative body. And then, of course, individual members bring expertise. And this, again, refers back to the practice manager uh, role that we really need the practice manager opinion um, to inform the work um, and inform the decision making of the committee. So I'm going to skip over the next few because I'm, I'm aware we're, we're, we're short of time. So the next slide, please, please. Um, so the PM members, we've got eight. We have three in Hampshire, uh, three in BSW and two in Dorset. Um, as I've said, they're subject matter experts. Um, they bring a view of the broader practice team. Um, I put the person to approach if PMs wish to bring views to AMC meetings. I don't think I meant the person. I think I meant a person because, of course, PMs are more than welcome to bring their views to the LMC through the office. So you know, please remember that. I'm this, I'm not, I did not mean that, that I expect you to go through the PMs at all times because, of course, I don't. Please bring them to the office as well. But the idea is that they should be a, a named person who will be somebody that PMs would be aware of to go to if they wish to bring anything to the LMC. As I've mentioned, it's not a representative seat because we, we do not hold elections and the representative role is, is much more complex to, to develop and administer than bringing in volunteers as subject matter experts. Um, and they're appointed every two years um, with the election cycle. Next slide, please. So finally, as uh, the, the final slide, so what's expected of our committee members? Um, representativeness, so selflessness, which again goes back to, you have to put the views and the opinions of the organization ahead of your own views and opinions sometimes. Integrity, obviously, objectivity, accountability, and I think that's, that's obviously really important, is that, is that if I go to a meeting, I have to be accountable for what I say, and it's the committee's role to, to hold me to account for that. Um, and likewise, if members attend the committee and they represent a view, then they have to realise that, that they are accountable for that view and could be challenged as to why they hold that view and whether they have sought adequate representation to hold that, to, to re represent that view to the committee. Um, Openness and honesty and transparency are really important. Most people who attend the meetings, I think, are surprised at how open and transparent they are. Um, I think we've moved the committee. I mean, I've been involved with the LMC now for the best part of 20 years, and the meetings have changed hugely from when I first um, joined the LMC as a, as a young GP that had my shoulder tapped. Um, and we've worked very hard at trying to make the committee meetings um, inclusive, open, friendly, um, and interesting. We are just about, well, in fact, we've just had an, uh, an election cycle and we have um, looked at who has brought forward and we have a number of vacancies, particularly in Dorset and the Hampshire and Isle of Wight Committee. So um, we are about to send some emails out asking for people to reconsider in the areas where we feel that we need more representation. And I would please ask if you if you could to um, keep your eye out for that email. And if you feel that there are some GPs who you think would would fit well within the LMC and might want to take this role but may not have considered it previously, to just point them in our direction, and we're more than happy to.
to um, talk to them and see whether it's something that, that, that might, they might find interesting. Okay, so Louise, that's the end of the slides. So I haven't seen the questions. Yeah, there is a question. Thank you, Gareth. That was really interesting, really clear, and has put you know, put all of things in context that I'm sure people might might not have quite understood before. Um, just question in. So, if the PM representation is concerned equal, can the voting arrangements be reviewed? And with the recognition of the IGPM and PM partners, this guidance should be reviewed. So, Gareth, I don't know whether you want. Yeah, to I mean, I think, I think. That's a really, that, I mean, that's the nub of the issue. And I, I think it's a really good question, but I think we're on a journey where, of course we are, because when I first joined the IMC, there weren't PM representatives at all, and it was nearly all partners. And, and of course the committees are changing all the time, but at the moment, the way that the NHS Act is written and the way that the, that the law is written around LMCs is that we are, we are only a representative body for GPs. So we have, if, we have to remember that, um, that that's our function. Um, we stretch into the uh, wider aspects of primary care because we think that's the right thing to do. And that's why we've had PMs on the committees. That's why we, we, we've looked at all sorts of uh, uh, the changes in general practice. That's why we employed a nurse advisor. That's why we have the directors of primary care working with us. So we completely accept that general practice is very different now than it was when LMCs were first constructed back in 1911, of course it is. Um, but we have to remember that we are a statutory organisation and that we have to be fulfil the, the legal requirements that we, we are within. I think as IGPM and PM partners change, we may get to a point where we have a new structure. Um, and I think we might see the law change. We might see all sorts of things happening. And, and we're, we're absolutely not um, against that. But we just have to be, we, we have to uh, make sure that we are representing the views of GPs because that's our, that's our statutory function. Thanks, Andy. Andy. And, yeah, Andy. Yeah, that, that said, I think the, the idea of voting is probably overplayed because having been a committee member before a medical director here, so about 20 years experience on committees, I can barely remember any time where we've needed to actually vote on something. It's very much about hear, hearing the concerns and issues that are, are taxing you know, our grassroots GPs, their practice staff, the, the, the practice managers. So, you know, it's very rare that we, we actually need to take formal votes on anything. So I think having the vote is kind of semantics, really. The important thing for us is that everyone that attends the committee meeting is equally valued and, and their concerns and issues are, are, are equally important. So, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that, Andy. I think that's my, been my experience too. Um, I mean, the, the only time we really ever vote is when we want to demonstrate that we have a unanimous vote on something rather than it being voting to resolve what, what is a contentious issue. I, can, I can't really remember any occasion when we've done that, to be honest. Or voting for the chair and vice chair of the committee at the beginning of a term. And can I come in a little bit about the IGPM? Because I've been a little bit involved um, with that organisation. Um, so I'm sort of in the background. I don't know whether some of you might remember that originally this came up with four um, very dedicated practice managers, currently working practice managers, and they ran a podcast um, with Ockham Health 
and um, Carol Cusack, um, one of our directors of primary care, was on that. And she sort of had the first conversation and she just encouraged them to sort of, well, you know, if you if you can see a, a need, ha- have a think about getting something off the ground. Um, and then I've taken over sort of just, just in the back, very much in the background with them. Um, and um, they have... They are a national organisation and we're not a national organisation. Um, and so they want a seat at the table nationally with CQC, PCSE. And those of you who come on these webinars and look at our newsletters and work with them, Lisa and Michelle, they'll know, you'll, you'll all know that we work with PCSE and we work with CQC, but we can't do it nationally because we're, we're Wessex. So we do what we very much can for our patch, um, but we can't do it nationally. So that's one of the reasons why the IGPM is there. Um, the other thing is that... Um, the new to partnership scheme came in and perhaps managers weren't on weren't allowed to be on that, even though as we know pharmacy technicians were. And when um IGPM went back to um, NHS England. They said, "Well, you're, you know, you need an accredited body. You need a register of practice managers." So the IGPM thought, "Right, this is it. Let's get one together." So and it had to be a national organisation. That's what they did, and sadly, it still wasn't enough. Um, I'm sure the conversation is not over there, but that's another reason for the IGPM. Um, we did a po- podcast recently with um, the IGPM reps that cover all our, all this area. We had a good chat through this sort of thing, and afterwards we, we were chatting through, and um, one of them said, "Well, yes." of course because if one of the GP had we had a GP on a board of the IGPM and they had voting rights the practice managers might not be very pleased about that so so it was interesting to sort of just think about it think it think it all through so it's a conversation as Gareth says it's ongoing um, and it'll be interesting to see where the IGPM go and certainly they still want Wessex LMC's involvement because as they've said to me if all LMC's did as much for practice managers as you do there might not be so much of a need for the IGPM, but actually we do a lot more um, for practice managers and we're completely dedicated um, to supporting practice managers and the management of the practice and all the staff. Um, and so not all LMCs are as big as us and have the capacity um, and, and the drive to do so. So, Michelle. Sorry, I just wanted to highlight as well that the expressions of interest that we're asking for for PM invitees, the closing date is for tomorrow. So just to highlight again, if you're interested in, in undertaking that role on our committees, you've gotten, you've, the, I think the closing date's tomorrow at midnight. So I uh, would encourage you to, to have a look at that and uh, put an expression of interest in. Mm. Thanks, Michelle. So I think that's probably all on that for now. All I'd say is it was a really good question last week and we really did appreciate that. We want to be completely open and transparent and show you how we work. And if you don't understand how we work, we're very happy to explain it. I certainly, when I, when I joined this organisation, the Secretariat and how the board and the committees and why are we LMCs and other people at LMC and the whole thing is quite confusing and we get quite used to the terminology because we've been here a few years, some of us, but actually we do know it can be a bit overwhelming. So please don't hesitate to ask us we're always happy to explain and this is exactly why we're sitting here live with you because we you could just ask us whatever you like so please don't hesitate to do that and it's been a really useful curve learning curve for us thinking through the, the chat from last week so thank you for that and thank you gareth for putting that in context for that's been really useful so we're going to run through a few more bits now as we always do so michelle i think you're on first and vcod one of our favorite subjects Yes, I'm talking about VCOD. Um, it was really just a highlight to everybody that there's a, an updated letter and frequently asked questions that's been issued on the 8th of February, which is worth having a look at. 
Um, we know that they're looking to overturn or remove the legislation that's due to come in on the 1st of April. Um, just a couple of things to highlight in the in the frequently asked questions. Um, it's suggesting practices or, or employers who are going through a recruitment process to continue with the pre-employment checks around asking for vaccination status, given the fact that the current legislation does require that. Also, within the original guidance, it was suggested that no formal processes were due to start until the 4th of February. And when they issued the updated, uh, when they paused everything, it was before this date. So it was really just to highlight there's no action to be taken uh, in relation to formal processes. And also within the FAQs, there's some useful guidance if you've had staff resign as a consequence of this, uh, and it's worth being aware of looking at that. Um, also, the BMA have some really useful um, primary care resources to go and have a look at. And one of the areas they are highlighting and suggesting is that for non-vaccinated staff, that you do continue to do an, uh, undertake a risk assessment and to consider whether you want to, whether it's appropriate to redeploy to non-patient facing roles. But I would um, suggest having a look at the letter, the frequently asked questions from NHS England and also the BMA guidance that they've got on their website. Lovely. Thanks, Michelle. Um, Lisa, BT phone lines. Don't often talk about BT phone lines, do we? We don't. Thanks, Louise. Um, this is just something that we spotted on the Futures platform. Um, so uh, an issue has been raised. Some patients who have BT landlines aren't able to receive phone calls from their practice. So this is related to the BT call protect service, um, which blocks some numbers that BT have identified as nuisance callers. And unfortunately, this, it appears that this also includes some practices. Um, so if a practice calls an affected patient, uh, the call isn't accepted and the call is asked to leave a message on the 1572 service. Um, so some patients may not be aware that there's a message or indeed how to retrieve the message. Um, and they may not even be aware that they've been enrolled onto the service and would have to update the block facility um, via the BT portal. So potentially it's quite complicated for some people. Um, so it's really just to make people aware of that. Um, it is potentially a national issue, um, but it may be that practices want to raise this with their telephone providers to check with BT. Um, they may just want to make patients aware via website newsletters, that kind of thing, if they think there might be an issue locally, um, you could consider in a text message if, if you think that a number of your patients are affected, but perhaps just um, put something out there so that people can double check. Um, so that was that one just on, on BT. And then a couple more on awareness campaigns. Um, the spike screening um, campaign that's being supported nationally that's started on the 14th of February is running until the 14th of March and it's just really to encourage those who are eligible um, for the NHS cervical screening program to attend so that's obviously women and people with a cervix aged 24 to 6, 25 to 64 sorry um, not to ignore their invitation and to book an appointment so you may see increased demand from patients um, and Louise, I didn't want know whether you wanted to mention any training resources on that yes, note. So we don't, um, as West Excellencies, we don't run um, cycle smear training courses, but there are providers on our website um, if the nurses do want us to find out where to get their um, cycle um, smear training from. So do, um, yeah, don't hesitate to look on the website or just email me and we can support you in the right direction. Thanks, Lisa. Louise. And the other item, I just wanted to mention another awareness campaign that... Um, 
Prostate Cancer UK are partnering with the NHS to deliver a cancer risk awareness campaign that started on the 17th of February and also runs until the end of March. And it's really to encourage men to use the PCUK clinically approved risk checker to understand their risk and take any action with a specialist nurse from the PCUK um, or seeing their GP to discuss if they have any concerns. So it was just really, again, to make you aware that that's out there and you may get an increased number of queries as a result. Thank you, Lisa. That's really helpful. Um, and I just because we're talking about some awareness weeks, I just wanted to draw your attention. Well, hopefully you're aware that we do a podcast of this. Um, and I mentioned just a little bit earlier, we did a podcast with the IGPM reps. So we do podcasts with all sorts of people, all sorts of topics. And um, Gareth is on a really interesting um, podcast with um, the acting C with um, Ewan Graham, who's a volunteer for the charity NACOA, the National Association for Children of Alcoholics. It's a really interesting talk. I would just encourage you, it's free um, to listen to. It can be part of safeguarding training for um, any of you. So the, obviously, the clinicians, the nurses, and the GPs it can be part of CPD, use it as a group discussion, obviously, useful for particular pe- um, patients. And also, maybe for your social prescribers, um, it's just it's drawing attention to um, this particular charity and the 13th to 19th of February marks um, the Children of Alcoholics Week 2022 so it's just a campaign to to, um, just to bring your attention to that I do know there are lots and lots of charities out there and they all have their own sort of um, part to play but it's just um, yeah I just think that might be interesting and he's got a very interesting story to tell Um, so that might be just worth you listening to and we've just done some on green issues too so all sorts of things out there they're free and they're not long we're trying to limit them for 20 minutes Um, and that's I just wanted to draw your attention to and those sort of things. And actually, I'm very pleased to say we've had sort of 67,000 downloads of our podcast since we started, which is just astonishing all of us, really. Um, so, yeah, and we know some of them are useful and some of them are just about interesting. And some of them are, maybe that's not for me, but I might know somebody in my, in my practice who this would be really helpful for. So um, just drawing your attention to those two as well. Um, so thank you very much for joining us. Thank you particularly for the presentation, Gareth. That's been great. Thanks, Andy, um, Lisa and Michelle. And um, we will see you again very soon. Thanks very much, everybody. Bye-bye. Wessex LMCs, supporting you and your practice.